0: This is With You in the Weeds.
1: Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Roush.
0: And I'm John Tenen. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to With You in the Weeds. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast, we are glad that you're here. Um, we are a team of counselors and pastors, and we enjoy thinking about, like we, we lay awake at night just thinking about planning content, at least I know I do. Some more than others. Some more than others, <laughs> um, that, that we know is going to speak directly to common questions and concerns that we help our clients with on a daily basis. And so we're continuing with our Becoming a Whole Person series. And today's episode is going to look at what every child fears the most. And I'm here with my fellow counselor and colleague, Austin Connor. Hey guys. Hey Austin, and I'm also here with our resident pastor, who also happens to be my husband, Shay Roush.
2: Good to be with you guys. I know you all invited me on because I'm such an expert in parenting. So (laughs) you're going to get
1: all the hard questions today.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, this series—that's a joke, by the way. (laughs) Nobody laughed. Please laugh.
1: (laughs) I hope our kids don't listen to this episode. Let's just say that because we'll get lots of feedback and comments like, you have no idea what you're doing. kid's going to troll you. Right, right. But we started this whole series by explaining the two basic ingredients that every person needs to grow, which are love and limits. So if you haven't listened, go back and start with that episode. And then we explored two questions that every child is asking and that every child needs to know the answer to. And those two questions are, am I loved? And can I have my own way? Can I be a free person? And if you notice, these are ingredients that even we as adults still need and questions that we are still
3: asking. Yeah, you know, when I read those, uh, and if you're like me, I kind of give this like nervous chuckle like, ha-ha, yeah, isn't that funny? We still ask those questions. (laughs) yeah uh but actually it's true <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know as we grow older and, and move on so to speak maybe they they aren't as loud or pronounced and yet they're still there and i think they're still there because god hardwired us for relational connection that longing to get um to 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 have a relationship where we feel seen valued understood and as mm-hmm. we grow older those fears never really go away we, mm-hmm. we still want to to get some clarity and some closure on those questions. And so it's kind of just, it's always there, the software running in the background, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And then the answer that every kid, what they fear most is, isn't it clowns? Wouldn't, is that what, wasn't that George, uh, an episode on Seinfeld? It, it was George Kramer. Costanza, Kramer. It was Kramer Kramer's that, the that, that yeah. you know, oh. feared the clowns? Yeah. Shay, were you so,
1: traumatized by a clown as a
2: child? I wasn't, but I, I've been traumatized by one uh, as an adult. At a state fair oh, in right. one time. But that's another story.
1: That's true. it's yeah, oh,
2: another episode.
3: It's the, your question's Here. answered one that's coming yeah.
1: up. <laughs> Just picture a clown in a dunk tank and Shay doing battle with that. Yeah. So we'll tell oh that story gosh. another time. Yeah, we will. <laughs> but seriously, um, today we are going to identify what every child and adult, as we've been talking about, fears the most, which is this. Loss of connection or abandonment. And maybe this is obvious to you and you've already thought through the implications of this, or maybe this is new to you and you've never heard this before. But as you listen to this episode, we want you to maybe listen to this episode twice. First, listen as a parent and consider how this fear of abandonment might be impacting your child, and we're going to give you some thoughts of how to address that and what to look for. But secondly, you could go back and listen to this episode from the lens of a child because we were all parented by someone and knowing how you were parented and what you experienced is actually a goldmine because it will help you understand a lot about your own triggers, your own fears, and basically the ways that you go about having adult relationships. That's just how powerful it is when our parents interact with us. Yeah. And, and
2: we we model, we imitate what, what we saw in our parents, right? Yes. In, in our parenting. We imitate our parents. And, yeah. and so how we were parented is is so important yeah. to understand.
1: So to look at this core fear of loss of connection or abandonment that little kids have, we're gonna actually go about this backwards. So think of like a maze where you have a start, a middle, and a finish. And we're going to start at the end of the maze and we're going to work our way backwards. So here's what I mean. First, we're going to look at the end result if or when a child does experience their fear. And then we're going to look at some types of parenting that lend itself to these fears. And then we're going to work our way back to the starting point of how can we help our children become whole people by us being emotionally healthy ourselves and getting the ingredients right with our kids. So, Austin, give us the end result. We're at the end of the maze. And so I think that end result, we're going to look at, like, what are those symptoms? What do we look for to know if a child is experiencing loss of connection or abandonment?
3: Yeah, so if you're a parent or a caregiver, you're working with kids, we're talking about these are the things you're seeing on a day in, day out basis. Um, to do this, you know, let's use another illustration, like an iceberg, you know, an iceberg, it's essentially this mountain of ice on the surface. That's pretty big. But when you look under the water, it's so much bigger. There's so much more underneath. And that mountain above the waterline, these are the different behaviors you might be seeing, which we'll get to in a second, but they are founded upon and driven by these two fears that we're talking about below the surface. That's that loss of connection Mm, or fear mm -hmm. of abandonment. So let me explain the underneath the waterline a little bit, and then we'll get to some of the above the waterline behaviors. So Mm -hmm. below the surface fears, that first one is loss of connection. If you've been listening to us, this is... (laughs) We beat this drum all the time, Mm -hmm. all the time. Loss of connection. Um, Just basically, we were made for relational connection. That means we're meant to be understood, feel valued, respected, safe, secure. This is the only thing in the Garden of Eden that was not good. Adam was alone, Genesis 2.18. And so, therefore, when kids are born, they get the chance to feel what that relational connection is like in the presence of their primary caregivers, especially mom and dad, Mm -hmm. especially mom. (laughs) And this is where and how connection is developed. However, if you know the story, we live in a fallen, sin-infected world. Things don't always go according to plan. We don't get that connection that we long for. And therefore, every child that every age is never fully assured of that connection they always are worried that it's going to go away Mm -hmm. or we have it now but what if we don't have it they're worried they'll be left alone they'll worry that they won't be seen or safe or secure and all of this is closely connected to that second fear the other one below the surface which is that fear of abandonment it's a fear of being left alone isolated on their own Now, this can be a fear of actual, you know, geographical, physical abandonment. So mom and dad is going to leave me. Maybe they've heard that. Maybe you've said that. I'm going to leave if you don't. Mm -hmm. Or it could be emotional abandonment. So yes, maybe you've got a roof over your head and you got solid meals and you got a bed to sleep in. But maybe the kiddo is thinking and feeling, I don't feel like mom or dad or grandma or grandpa really care about me. Or they want to take an interest in my world. Or maybe they just feel tolerated. That can be connected to a fear of abandonment. I don't know. I, I've been talking a while. You guys, any other thoughts or things strike you about those underlying fears?
2: Well, some parents could maybe just be like they're just part of the household. They're not really playing their role. It's almost like I, I think I heard someone say it's like it's almost like a they're adults or they're they're, they're actually kids. They remain kids, but they're shaving. Kind of thing. And so they're just existing, but they're not really contributing emotionally mm. and leading their families in, in any way.
1: Yeah. And I just want to affirm, you know, as we're talking about this topic, that so many of our clients have experienced this on some level. And part of the process of therapy is actually uncovering this. Like, when did you experience that loss of connection as a child or had that feeling of abandonment? And you know, did your parents engage with you? Did they recognize that? Like, what happened after that? And one of the ways that counseling helps is you're creating a secure, safe environment where you can attach with another person. And honestly, sometimes this is the first person that our clients has have ever interacted with where they have felt seen or validated or understood. And you may think I'm overstating that, Right, Austin? But but I'm not, like, we're not. like.
3: It's one of the most tragic and amazing things I get to do in counseling is when I hear things and I, let's say, speak into it and go, hey, I just want you to know that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And the times where people, their eyes widen, they get tears in their eyes, they've never heard that before. Yeah. Uh, Because that's all that they've known. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, amen to all that.
1: Yeah, and so it kind of becomes a place where people can recognize, hey, I'm not crazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) You know, I grew up feeling abandoned or, you know, feeling loss of connection and it's like, Yes, because it wasn't there.
3: So all that to say, those two underlying fears, fear of abandonment, loss of connection, they drive all sorts of behaviors on the surface. So mm-hmm. rather than just making an exhaustive list, we'll list just a few behaviors at different ages of kids. Um, if you've got kids these ages, or you take care of kiddos, you might recognize some. And maybe if these don't land for you, just be thinking, what does this look like? So above the surface behaviors... You know, two to five-ish year olds, toddler, kindergarten age, you might be seeing increased emotional reactions, Mm. high-pitched screaming or yelling. These kids just go big. They're throwing food or they're just going big. Um, Maybe there's persistence. Oh, God, love these persistent, some might say annoying Mm -hmm. (laughs) toddlers, especially before bedtime. It can be maddening. Mm. Uh, The Mm -hmm. story that I'll tell maybe another time, uh, we had a list, Polly and I did, of our middle kiddo, all the things we had to do. Oh yeah. It was 33 things. Oh no. In order. Yeah, and if you got out of order. If we got out of order, we had to start, start over. over. We were so persistent. But he needed that. It was comforting mm-hmm. to him. And so, oh my gosh, that's why I'm bald. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> maybe last one for this, you know, the angry outbursts, you know, other hitting, uh hitting, anger is is there to either protect something, but also to protest something that's not right. Mm-hmm. And kiddos these age ages, they don't have the ability to verbalize the fears of abandonment or loss. And so the only way they know how to make these fears known is Mm -hmm. through anger, through an outburst so that they get noticed. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, two to five-ish year olds. Maybe some above-the-surface behaviors for 6- to 11-year-olds, kind of elementary ages. Um, Maybe bigger and more noticeable behaviors like more defiance, whether at home or at school. Pushing and testing boundaries, not following teachers' instructions. Um, You know, I've seen this. I come from a family uh, of divorced parents. If you're divorced and you've got kids that are going between different households, there might be two different sets of expectations. And that can be a lot for kids. And they might be getting overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And when when kids get overwhelmed it's natural to go big in ways that cannot be ignored and require attention. And as maddening as this can be from a kid's perspective, they're getting attention even for negative behaviors. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Negative attention is better than no attention at all. So mm-hmm. not justifying that, but it nothing else helps kind of understand it. Last thing for me in this age there's also, there can be maybe some quieter and more subtle behaviors. So maybe a kiddo's just not as outgoing as they normally were. Maybe they're not doing as well socially in school. Maybe their grades might be taking a hit. And this is kind of depending upon personality and things like that. So maybe also be looking for things that aren't Mm -hmm. happening in these kiddos. But those are kind of toddler, elementary. I know, uh, I think Lynn shared a little bit more, maybe what this might look like in teens. Do you
1: have a teenager yet, Austin?
3: Uh, I have the spirit of a teenager. If you've seen the show Shit's <laughs> Creek, Alexis Rose, that's Adeline. That's her spirit animal. And she's... A- <laughs> she's 12 right now. Okay, got it. Um, but oh my gosh. You're on the break. So you're, you're, you're helping You're me. there. Yeah. Help me.
1: Well, well, we have <laughs> raised three teenagers. We, we have two that are still teens. And I'll tell you, it is a whole new wave of parenting. But I will say something that John taught me years ago that has been very helpful is... All those developmental questions that we talked about, like, am I loved? Can I have my own way? And how they express themselves, just as you described in, you know, toddler years, elementary years, years. Those all come circling back around in the teen years. So he told me once, all of the questions that didn't get answered in those early years, they are going to come up again in the teen years. Oh, good. So so yes, that's scary on the one hand. On the other hand, the good news is if you failed to connect with your child or you know, an, answer that question in those early years, guess what? Part two. You get another chance okay. because mm-hmm. in their teen years, they're circling around mm-hmm. testing those boundaries. Again, it may look different, mm-hmm. but it's the same underneath the iceberg, the same questions. And here's how it may look different in the teen years. So those outward behaviors might be just outright disrespect. Um, You mentioned anger, but just kind of anger and sullenness. Maybe they're shutting down emotionally. They're just, you know, withdrawing, going to their room, shutting their door, not answering your questions. Um, Maybe you notice that your teen is turning to uh, numbing behaviors, like they're getting into alcohol or drugs or even pornography, things that just sort of take them away and and like it's a soothing behavior. Um, They might be looking for stimulation with risky behaviors, like they're stealing things, they're driving dangerously, they're vandalizing. Like again, that negative attention is better than no attention at all, like you mentioned. Um, Some other things to be looking for in this stage might be just self-harm, like you're noticing that you know, they're sort of turning on themselves because they have some emotional pain and they don't know how to express it. So these are some of the external signs, but again, internally, what's probably happening underneath the surface is this teenager feels depressed, they feel anxious, they may be having panic attacks, and it may be, and again, this is, you know, there's all, all kinds of factors that go into this, but it may be because that child is feeling a loss of connection, And they're still wondering, am I loved? Do you see me? That might be what's going on.
2: Yeah, and I might add to that list, if, if they don't feel loved by their parents as teens, they're going to find someone quickly mm-hmm. who loves them and yeah. pays attention to them in a relationship. I
3: will never forget, I think she was two, and I just had this thought, I saw a parent giving their daughter attention. And my first thought was, I'm not going to do that. They're going to take advantage of that. And you're speaking directly to that
2: because if I don't give them that attention, guess what? Mm -hmm. Somebody else will. Mm -hmm. That's 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 exactly right. And and usually that's going to be in the form of a sexual relationship. Um, but, but it seems like a, as you describe these symptoms, Lynn, we, we can see that in many ways we've raised a generation, right, of just lonely kids that feel disconnected either because they grew up in, in single parent homes uh, like I did. And, 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 you know, there's reasons for that. Or, or maybe their parents were, were married, but they were just, as you guys have mentioned, they were just emotionally absent um, in, in the home. Um, they were just existing in the home. They've checked out. They don't really contribute to the home. They're they're fathers who, you know, they're they're really actually kids who shave. But I I, I think another symptom I've seen when a child feels disconnected or abandoned is that the child has to grow up quickly Mm -hmm. and and become self-sufficient. But I, I, I think... In that scenario, there, there's some positives maybe to it, but there's some negatives. They, they can be forced to maybe carry burdens that they were never meant to carry at, at that age. And, and that isn't healthy. Um, I, I like to say, if you um, can't provide for your kids, right? <laughs> don't have kids. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a little bit harsh, but if you can't provide for them financially, then or you're going to abandon them, then don't have kids. Um, you know, I uh, grew up as a child, my, I think I've mentioned this a little bit, and I'm not going to get into it too much, but my dad was an alcoholic, and uh, my mom divorced him when I was in fourth grade, and I'm very thankful for that divorce because it was much better growing up in a single-parent household than, than with an alcoholic who was going to destroy us. But as a result of that, um, um, I grew up. Just learning coping skills, and I was really driven to succeed because I knew I couldn't depend upon others. I, I knew that my my dad wasn't going to be there to help me. And uh, one of the things I learned from that, the positive was, is that you just need to work hard, and uh, that's a good thing. But but I don't think it's healthy for the most part for young kids to carry burdens that they were never meant to 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 carry. Uh, Austin, like you talked about the waterline and and the emotions beneath the waterline. We have to understand that loneliness may affect you more than you realize.
1: Yeah, and I think we should also name what this looks like if you're now an adult and you grew up in that scenario where you did lose connection with a parent or maybe you had an emotionally immature parent. Shay, I think that's what you mean when you say the parent is just a a kid who's shaving. It's like Mm -hmm. they, they haven't grown up, they haven't matured, and so their parenting is failing to create a strong sense of security and provision and protection and providing for that child. And again, I, I reference this because I'm a therapist, but this is often what we see with our clients who they're now adults and they're trying to make sense of their own reactions to things. Like, why do I get so upset with my child when you know, they treat me with disrespect or when they you know, do these things? And, and they may be living out of their own end result. Of feeling a loss of connection or abandonment. And so let's just quickly look at what some of those symptoms might look like in adulthood. So again, let's say you've been raised in a home where you didn't get the connection that you needed. So as an adult, what might you see? Well, very prone to anxiety and depression. And I think this is the number one sign. Um, Another one might be you're jumping from one relationship to another. Like it's just hard for you to maintain long-term relationships or another thing I've noticed is like intense approval seeking in relationships, like very much a people pleaser because you're mm-hmm. just going to do anything you can to keep connection with someone, even if it's not healthy. Um, and a, kind of going along with that That's is me, by the way, Just <laughs> F- I'm a
2: people pleaser.
1: <laughs> oh, I am. I am
2: seriously. I, I think am. we both are. Yeah, we are.
1: Um, but yeah, so then you might also just like you're saying, you know, have a, a dependency on others for a sense of purpose and meaning. Like, I can only be okay if you're okay. Like, my emotional state is very dependent on someone else's emotional state. Um, and another thing that can come from that is you you feel overly responsible for other people. Like, there's just this sense of like I have to take care of other people and I have to carry their burdens because again, that may be how you got the bits of affirmation, you know, that you needed as a child. So um, other things that I'll just, you know, mention is you might just have like a lack of discernment or poor judgment of who you can trust or a lack of impulse control. These are just a few things, but again, you know, these are this is what we see on the surface, and so it takes some effort to dive deeper and go, okay, what was happening when I was growing up that may have produced this end result in adulthood? So... This is great material. Um, I hope that as you're listening, you're starting to look for where these signs or symptoms could be showing up with your kids, or maybe you're reflecting on where you might be seeing these show up in your adult life. And so when we come back, we are going to look at, okay, how did we get here? We're going to be in the middle of the maze. middle of the maze. So stay with us, and uh, we'll be back in a minute.
0: We'll be right back in a jiffy. But we want to take a quick pause to say thank you, thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting this episode to a friend, and find us on Instagram at With You in the weeds.
1: Okay, well, we're back and we looked at sort of the end result of what it might look like if a child is feeling disconnected from a parent. But now we're in the middle of the maze and we're kind of looking at, okay, what's causing this? What are some of the key parenting mistakes, shall we say, that could be creating or, you know, causing this child to feel this way? And We really like a book that's called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. And so we're going to reference some of the material from that book. You can check it out on Amazon if you're looking for um, a good resource. But in this section, we're going to be pulling some ideas from this book. And we're going to look at four types of parents that are maybe unintentionally or intentionally feeding into a child's biggest fear, which we've described as loss of connection or abandonment. So the four types of parents we're going to uh, quickly look at here is the emotional parent, the driven or dominant parent, the passive parent, and the neglectful or rejecting parent.
3: This is the happy fun time. I know. I was going to say it's kind
1: of, it's it's hard. (laughs) This is hard material because it is, it's real, this, this does happen, this is happening, and it's kind of depressing to think about. But like anything else, unless you bring it to your conscious awareness, how are you going to work on it? How are you going to change?
2: Yeah, because yeah. we all want to fall on the spectrum of the godly parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the
1: healthy, mature parent. The
2: healthy, mature parent. But, but it,
1: yet, as we talk about this, I think we can see bits of each of these, right, in our parenting. And and that's good that we can recognize that because, again, we can take some steps to do better. So the emotional parent, wow, this is this is a big one. The emotional parent is preoccupied. They are moody. They don't show empathy when the child expresses a need or a fear. And I would say that one key element of this style of parenting is that this parent sucks all the emotional energy out of the family. And that leaves the family having to revolve around this parent. Kind of like this vortex that's just sort of pulling everyone in. And so the family is kind of walking on eggshells because no one wants to upset the emotional parent because they're volatile and it could cause either an explosion of rage that's very scary or like really cold, stony silence for days. Like if you've said or done something that has upset that parent. And so what does this mean for the child? Well, when the child is upset, the emotional parent is going to probably make very little effort to soothe or engage with the child. And instead, and this is the sad part every time I kind of really think about this, the emotional spotlight stays on the parent. And so the parent's needs triumph over the kid's needs. And in fact, this parent and this is where it sort of come full, comes full circle, this parent may actually look to the child to soothe them or to placate them or to cater to their needs. I mean, this is something we see a lot. Yeah,
3: the, the image that's coming to my mind, this parent is like a magnet.
1: And uh, any yeah. and
3: all energy, attention is just mm-hmm. right there. And if you try to bring this up and you want to reverse that, it can't. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you know, yeah. it's... it's it's just it's magnetic, and it's they the are vortex. the center, the vortex. Yeah, yeah. that's
2: a good illustration, mm-hmm. Austin. Yeah, mm-hmm. the second type are the driven parents, and so these are the performance parents who fixate on their child's success while failing to emotionally engage or connect with their child. Um, usually, I think, because the parent is living vicariously through their children, and, and so they're... None of us have ever done that, <laughs> have we? I'll
1: just say
3: this. I'm I'm in this world right now, and I'm not above it, but, uh, you know, kids are starting to get into sports. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. see It's it. kind of exactly sad, right. it's understandable, but yeah. you didn't.
2: Yeah, and so as parents, they're the ones who are looking to find their identity in their children's success, right? And so um, I I think this maybe uh, category, this looks the most normal. Um, It's maybe the hardest to spot. Maybe
1: the most acceptable. Yeah, Mm -hmm. maybe the
2: most acceptable. They they end up with, at the end of the day, perhaps unmotivated children. Mm -hmm. Um, They selectively praise and push what they want to see Mm -hmm. in in their kids um, according to their values. These parents usually uh, grew up in an emotionally deprived environment. Uh, they make their children feel evaluated constantly, mm-hmm. right? Um, these are the kids out on the ball diamond or the basketball court, and they're always looking to their parents for their approval, right? You can spot them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they feel like their kid always, they, they always need to be doing more. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they always need to be improving. And so in adulthood, the kids won't seek adult support. That's a common trait. Um, I, I think you mentioned this. I I know Lynn. We probably, or at least I did, with Jack, our firstborn. Um, you know, it was I was living vicariously through him when he was out there playing uh, sports. Playing okay. sports, yeah. yeah. And and um, you know, I remember too many rides home where mm-hmm. I was just criticizing him. Yeah. And uh, I wish I could take those moments yeah. back. I think right. I got a little bit better with Emma mm-hmm. and with Owen. He gets to do whatever he wants <laughs> yeah. to do. Yeah. But, right. Right. <laughs> you know, and Shay, as you list all that, you know, the other thing,
3: um, my guess is in most of these cases, not all, but most, the intention is good. Mm, they're trying mm-hmm. to do they're trying to encourage They're trying to support yet they just fail to understand the impact mm, that they're mm-hmm. having yeah. on the kiddo yeah and so that's why it's kind of harder to spot because they're coming from good intentions mm-hmm. right
2: and yeah. yet yeah. just don't we, understand. we live in a performance-based society right, right. Yeah. so what's right. wrong with being good at what you do but uh or I, I think a child can grow up with and this is similar with dominant parents um And uh, most homes maybe have at least one. And these are the parents that are high, I want to say, on justice, but they're low on love. And so dominant parents have high expectations and act as if the rules matter more than the children, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Dominant parents think, you know, conform to the rules and you'll be accepted and trouble-free. Break the rules and you won't be accepted and punishment is coming. And I think that children suffer when love and justice fail to connect. So children born to dominant parents often clam up or rebel as teens. They have a poor self-concept due to a lack of unconditional love, and they reject their parents' values because they could never truly embrace them. And let me just say this, if God is our Father and as Christians, He's the model of every family. We, we should reflect His character. And so good fathers teach us something about God, and so do good mothers. And so who is God? Well, Exodus 34 tells us, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, catch this, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So you didn't read that from the New Testament. This is Old Testament. Yeah, old, old, that's <laughs> this, Old Testament. This is Old Testament yeah, God. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you see the character of God there? So okay. uh, we we see here God's love, his holiness, and his justice. And, and so as parents, when children misbehave, we have to stress, right, the, the rule they broke, which is God's holiness, Um, The consequences of their action, which would be justice, um, but should we also forgive and teach them to do better, which is reflecting God's love. And I I think one of the things I've learned over the years, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you'd say this, Lynn, but but I I think you would, but I think in, in parenting, we need to err on the side of God's love and mm-hmm. forgiveness with our kids and teaching and training them to do better versus the parent who just focuses on the rules and injustice.
1: You know, and I think it's a hard lesson that you learn as you go through parenting, because I know with our first, it was very much like this little mini me is going to you know, reflect me perfectly, do everything right. Like I am going to get this right. You know, and you're so focused on the rules and the schedule. And, you know, like you said, Shay, the justice and the consequences. And then, as each as you go with the as you realize how you're just going to be very frustrated. Good
3: luck with all that. yeah, yeah. if, if yeah. that
1: is your like main like rubric for parenting that it's like you kind of learn trial and error of like, oh, that doesn't really work because, Again those two questions that the kids are asking am I loved can I be free when they're asking the can I be free and they're bumping up against you and all they get is the harshness the judgment the the rules the criticism they are going to rebel because they're, what they're looking for at that point is you know can I be my own person and Will you still love me?
2: And I really, I just want to say this. I'm really glad that God, in our relationship with him, I think errs on the side of forgiveness right. and, and right. love. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's yet what, that's yet doesn't right. ignore his justice. So great. Right? Doesn't ignore his law. You know, those are all, God gives us his law for our good. Right. But but I think he comes down on the side of forgiveness and love, and I'm yes. so thankful for that.
3: Yeah, and you know, if you're going to be a parent, and you, if you have kids, you know this, I mean, you're going to lose
1: <laughs> right, that's a battle you ultimately. are gonna lose. You're yeah. gonna
3: die. There's, don't keep score, but you're gonna lose, and that's good because mm. in a lot of ways, just like you said, God lost mm. and poured. He's, mm-hmm. he's withholding. He's patient. He's kind. He's he's not gonna go tit for tat and mm-hmm. you know keep a complete record because he poured that out on Jesus. Okay, wow, that's great. We've done the emotional parent. We've done the driven or dominant parent. Here's the third type, so to speak. Um, it's the passive parent. So a passive parent has this go-with-the-flow attitude. You know They learn to stay out of the line of fire. Passive parents default to letting things simply happen
2: mm-hmm. and find
3: it very difficult and unnatural to be proactive and enact change in their lives and the lives of their kiddos. Um, here's some signs of a passive parent. Uh, they acquiesce to more dominant personality types and parenting types. They use their kids to fill their own emotional needs. So, for example, let's say this parent going through a really hard time at work and is stressed out. Uh, they might come home and say to their kids something like, gosh, I'm just so thankful that you are obedient, that you'll listen to me, unlike my coworkers. Hmm. Or they might say, I love how good of a listener you are. You really get me. I can't tell you how many times... Parents will complain about their spouse problems, like with the other person, mm. to the other kid. Oh, that's a no-no. No. Mm-hmm. Oh man, but this can happen mm-hmm. with with passive parents. You know, when things get intense, these parents tend to withdraw from situations. And in some of the most tragic and extreme cases, passive parents can turn a blind eye to harmful situations. You know, even as so far as ignore or even tolerate abuse in their home because they don't. Want to rock the boat? Mm-hmm. So those are those are passive parents.
2: Okay, mm-hmm. the fourth type is the neglectful or rejecting parents. Uh, neglectful parents provide neither just rules nor loving support, and so they view children as a burden. They're a, they're an interference. Uh, neglectful parents ignore their their children, so video games often act as the the parents.
1: <laughs> Wait
2: a second. <laughs>
3: Is that okay every once in a while? (laughs) Every once in a while, for sure. Uh,
2: I I think they listen poorly. Uh, They rarely uh, hug their kids or correct them, and and they hate to drop their pursuits Mm. for the sake of their children. Mm -hmm. And so divorce, uh, maybe long hours of work, and just ordinary selfishness all contribute to negligent parenting. Uh, I just watched... uh, uh, Owen and I just watched the show Succession about this wealthy family and and uh, this media mogul family in New York, and the premise is who of their children are going to succeed the father. And but but the whole idea is in this wealthy family, the kids are just kind of seen as a burden. The mm. nannies raise the family. The, they're they're prone to send them off to boarding schools. That that the parents aren't really emotionally engaged with their kids. Yeah, what a what a sad tragic show, but mm-hmm. it's really really good.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I I think as we're just talking about these different types of parents, let's just look at the common denominator between all of these parenting styles, and I think the main one that stands out to me is that the parent is preoccupied with themselves and their own needs. Now, we will say that, you know, generationally speaking, it's likely because they weren't connected to as a child either. So again, there's always a cause, there's always something driving it underneath the surface, but just as we look at it, you know, for face value, this is a parent that is self-involved, they're emotionally unavailable, and so this essentially forces the child to look elsewhere for support, comfort, empathy, and genuine emotional connection. And, you know, that's where we end up with all the symptoms that we started with the anxiety, the depression, the acting out, the lack of impulse control, the jumping from one relationship to another because we were made for security and safety. Our brains grow and we become whole people when we experience safety and connection. And I just say that, you know, we've been talking about this, that we're experiencing an epidemic of children who've grown up not having this, and as an adult, they're finding themselves lost in a maze.
2: Yeah, that's exactly like right, Lynn. I, I was at a men's retreat this weekend, and I was just amazed at how many guys— probably age 25 to maybe 40 in that range who I talk to and, you know, they're just telling their stories of just brokenness and maybe they've already been divorced and um, they're maybe dealing with some sort of addiction that those sort of things and they're trying to get back on the right track Mm -hmm. and, 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 and and which is great to see. But I, I wonder in my mind, I wonder Is it because they, it was how they were parented or they grew up in homes and, and they didn't have maybe a parent around and they're just imitating what they saw?
3: Man. And that probably makes you think it's both, right? We are responsible. We make choices Mm -hmm. and those choices come in a context. As a result of factors that were out of our control, namely upbringing and these four different types that we're talking about, so everything you're saying makes complete sense. And I'm glad to hear that they're trying to
2: mm-hmm, absolutely trying to get they're back. They're the men's retreat, That's yeah. Right. They're yeah. trying
3: to get back on the horse. And maybe you know, with that in mind, you know, we said, okay, we went to the end. We've been in the the middle. Where do we start? What's the ideal? How do we reset? So so here's essentially what growth can look like and how we can kind of reset and start. Um, one of the things she talks about in, in this book, which I thought was great, was unlock your feelings. Hmm. And how she says it is, um, you know, repressing our feelings for so long is going to backfire in the end. Interesting. Those, those needs, right, the fear of abandonment, mm-hmm. the loss of connection. Eventually, if you're a kid, you start to realize what's not happening and you can get frustrated and bitter and angry, understandably so. If you keep that locked up tight, mm. that's going to come back to bite you. And so mm. what she says is unlock the feeling. So begin to share and explore your anger, your fears, your frustrations, not with your kids, right? <laughs> but maybe with a spouse, maybe mm. a friend. Mm-hmm. And to this end, and you've heard me say this if you've been listening before, take off the right and wrong hat if you can. Like, I know I should, this doesn't feel right, so I don't want to say it. No, put on the real hat. Um, again, this author, Lindsay Gibson, She suggests speaking out loud what you feel as if you're a fourth grader. Short, simple, direct statements. I'm angry that this is happening. Mm. I'm hurt when, whatever, I'm scared. Just short, quick, simple, that's a good starting point. And once you can unlock these feelings, the, the next step is that you begin to talk to yourself and remind yourself who you are now. Right. And and this kind of gets into parts work and just acknowledging all these different parts. But even saying something like, OK, look, you're not 10, you're not 12. That was really hard. But remember, we're ah, 38 years old with a job and a mortgage and three kids, wherever you are in life. That's what can begin to happen. And that's a good starting point.
1: Yeah. I mean, we say this over and over again, but there there is no perfect parent. So all of us are coming in with some deficits and we ourselves don't live up to this ideal mature parent, right, where we're all perfectly healthy ourselves and we're never projecting anything onto our kids. But I think we're just looking like, what does it look like to engage with our kids so that we're not feeding into this greatest their greatest fear? And so just real quick here at the end, we're going to do, what are things that we can keep doing as parents, things that we should stop doing, and things that we want to start doing? So keep doing just keep working on yourself right the more you know your own story and how you are parented the more you're going to be aware of your relational style and if you see yourself in any of the four parenting types we mentioned just like highlight that like hey i'm noticing this bring it to your conscious awareness and start to pray through that and think through what those implications might be.
2: Okay, here's what you need to stop doing. This is going <laughs> to sound a us little pastor harsh. Shea. Just stop it. <laughs> but here's what I wanted to say to parents as a pastor. Two things. One, don't be your child's biggest fear.
1: Hmm. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Don't
2: be your child's biggest fear. Don't let your sin be your child's biggest fear. Now, I get it. Parents are big sinners. Raising little sinners, right? I understand that. But I want to read to you from a book on fathering. And, And the author says this. Words of reassurance, offered or withheld, are monumental in a child's growth. Words of encouragement or exhortation or patient teaching are the same. When a child has grown up under the devastation of unremitting harshness and sometimes not so unwitting, or the devastation of neglect, the one thing a father may not say is that it was not a big deal. Mm. Of course it was a big deal. Mm. Uh, Fathers, he goes on to say, whether they recognize it or not, are behaving in a way that will shape their children's understanding of what it means to be a father. And that that understanding will occupy a central place in their lives. Guys, I, I think that is so good. And so don't inflict the father wound (laughs) on your kids. Uh, That's the trauma kids carry into adulthood when a father is abusive or absent. And and I might add there can be a mother wound as well. Mm -hmm. You know, when fathers disrespect their wives in front of their children, right, then then kids grow up with that mindset and and carry that into their future relationships. And, And here's the deal. Uh, I'll close with this. Remember Deuteronomy uh, 6, that great Old Testament passage on parenting. But it says essentially this, that the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, And then it goes on to say that raise your children in the instruction of the Lord. See, this tells us that we're to teach our children to have, in some sense, a Christian worldview. It's more than just teaching kids Bible stories, nothing wrong with that. But Abraham Kuyper, remember, says every square inch is God's. And so our duty as Christian parents is to train our kids to think about all things from a Christian worldview, every aspect of life, so to speak. That's our job as parents, to raise kids who are ready for this world and think Christianly about it by God's grace. And we have to remember, though, that He's the one that has to save them, obviously, but we'll love our kids more if we ourselves love God first. Let me let me say that again. We'll love our kids more if we ourselves love God first. Because you notice the order in Deuteronomy 6, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then raise your children, right? See, if he's the most important thing in our life, we will love our kids well. But if we make our kids our God and put God on the back burner, then we won't love them well. And so I want you to consider how are you doing in your relationship with God? Is he first? I think you'll be a better parent, even a better spouse, if you put... God first in your life. But secondly, and lastly, those of us who grew up without good fathers or absent fathers or, or maybe an absent mother, and, and that's a, a high number in our society. I, I want you to know that in Jesus, we have a heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally. And at the end of the day, that will be enough. And, and maybe if we didn't grow up with good parents to imitate we can look to write other friends and examples of good fathers and mothers and learn from them. Or maybe we, we need to read good books on parenting, like you guys have suggested today. You can be a good parent, even if you didn't have it modeled to you.
3: Shay, that's so good. I found myself, <laughs> I wasn't the host. I was sitting and listening uh, to those words you read. That was really good. And and I hope, you know, if you're hearing that, you take something. The only thing I'd add very briefly um, and you might have alluded to it, something you could start doing, just repair. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thank goodness. And we said this, if you haven't heard this, good enough parenting is enough. And you will not be perfect as a parent. I don't have to convince anybody of that when you make a mistake, repair it. Mm-hmm. Say to mm-hmm. your kids something as simple as, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I shouldn't have done that. Mm. Will you forgive me? That will stick with the kiddo. Maybe not today, maybe not next week, but overall, when you put that in the water of their experience, that's going to make a difference. So
2: consider what repair looks like. Model God's forgiveness to you, Mm -hmm. to your kids. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and I think that starts with the heart of humility. and. You know, we want to learn how to parent how God parents us, and he stays close to us. He stays connected to us. He draws us close to him even when we, you know, make mistakes. And he reminds us over and over again in scripture that he is safe. He is our refuge. He is our hiding place. And so I love what we've just talked about, how let's not be the source of our child's fear. Let's be that secure anchor that they need um, so that when they go out in the world and face life storms, they know that they are securely loved and they're not going to lose our love. And so we hope that you have benefited from today's episode. We've covered a lot, but stay with us in this Becoming a Whole Person series because it's only getting better from here. So good to be with you guys today.
0: Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at With You In The Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in
2: the weeds.